0: God, that is our prayer this morning, that we would give everything that we have, our life, our all, to love and to follow you. To find our greatest joy, our greatest satisfaction, and our greatest hope in you and in you alone. Enable us to do that now by the power of your word, according to your spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, go ahead and take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And while you're turning there, uh, does anybody remember uh, Circuit City? You guys remember that company, Circuit City? They used to have these uh, giant boxes in the front of their... Uh, doors overhanging the doors. They were just an electronics company, similar to like a Best Buy today. Circuit City. I would walk into Circuit City. I'd go into the store, and it was just magnificent. It was filled with so many electronic items that I don't even know half of what they were for. It was just magnificent. You walked in, the doors open. It was like you were in a completely different land, a different place. All together. And you would walk in, you would see there would be, there was like a home theater section to your right with all these doors that would shut so that you couldn't hear what was happening, but you could feel the subwoofers wor- working because there were these big reclining chairs and, and you knew awesome things were taking place in there. There was this awesome demonstration of a home theater. Then to your left, there was a, a big uh, wall of speakers and just music that was blasting. And usually it was like seven or eight different bands that were playing through these loudspeakers. And so it was just a cacophony of noise Noises and sounds, and you didn't even know what was happening, but it was just loud, and it was right in your face. And then right just dead ahead, there was this wall of huge big-screen TVs, just massive. And there was usually like a big football game that was playing there, or or there was some beautiful uh, ocean view of like Hawaii or something like that, just beautiful. So you'd walk in, and you'd have these three different places that were just kind of vying for your attention, On the home theater side, the demonstration of the home theater equipment, because there were doors over it and it was silenced, you you didn't really care about that. You knew things were awesome there, but you just kind of left that alone. And then on your left, there was this massive wall of speakers that really was instantly grabbing your attention. But ultimately, you could not take your eyes off of that wall of TV screens in the back. So these two different aspects of of this store are are grabbing your attention, but the video would always inevitably drown out whatever was playing on the loudspeakers. It would just kind of like a tractor beam suck you into whatever was happening on those screens. Every day, one of us, every day, every day that we go through life, we will face the promises of God and the problems of this world vying for our attention. Every single day, we're going to face both of these things in our lives, the problems of what's happening in our lives and the promises of God. And they're both vying for our attention. They're both crying out to be heard, to be noticed. And it's like that wall of speakers and that wall of TVs. One is going to captivate your attention. One's going to to bring you in. But the question is, Which is coming through the loudspeakers over here, the wall of speakers? Which is coming through the TVs? Is it God's promises coming through the loudspeakers, but the problems of life drown it out? They just kind of suck you in because you can't really see what's going on here and the problems of life just crowd out and the chaos of this world just crowds out all of God's promises, that you don't even hear them. Or are God's promises on that wall of screens? And though the problems of life are loud, and though it's this crazy noise that's just distracting, and you don't want to get near it, you know I'm going to go right to God's promises. I'm going to let God's promises draw me in. Your attention will be captivated, captivated by something. The question is, what's coming at you in video, and what's coming at you in audio? Well, God's, well, our problems or God's promises have a greater hold on our lives, a greater hold on our attention and a greater hold on our affections. Which is it going to be? When the promises of God are vivid before our minds and they are warm in our hearts, and the problems of life can't compare with what we have in Jesus. And it's not that the problems go away. Please hear me clearly. They don't go away. Or we don't pretend that they're not there. They're real. The problems in life are real. It's just that they could never outweigh or outshine what we've been promised in Christ. So this morning, I want to look at some of those promises. I want to look together at the video of God's promises that will drown out the problems in our lives. Matthew chapter 6 is where we find eight of those such promises. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Let's read these together and ask God's blessing on our time. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life, as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil, they don't spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? Because the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But instead, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Father, thank you so much for these words. Jesus, thank you for speaking them. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit recording them. Thank you that we get to meditate on them this morning. God, even as we prayed earlier, there are people in our church that have been affected in drastic ways by the coronavirus, losing their jobs. Maybe they are wondering these exact questions. What are we going to eat? How are we going to eat? How are we going to have food? God, we've prayed for a family who is who's wondering when is my daughter going to be able to be healthy enough to come home? When will I be able to hold her? We've prayed for a family that had lost their son and knows that he is safe in your arms. God, we have so many people throughout our church family and beyond that would say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through tomorrow. I don't even know if I can finish today. And God, the words that your son spoke to us in these verses, they are a challenge, yes, but they are so much less of a rebuke and more of a comfort. They're a comfort to our hearts. So God, I pray that we would receive them as such, as a blessed comfort from Jesus. And I pray that we'd apply them. Just as we read earlier in Luke chapter 11, we need to obey, we need to repent, we need to turn and follow you. So enable us to do that this day, to live out these promises, to cling to Christ and to follow him. Holy Spirit, as we pray every Sunday, open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. If you don't do the work of illuminating our understanding, we will not understand what we are supposed to get from these verses And we don't want to be like the Pharisees, who while seeing, they don't see. While hearing, they don't hear. So give us hearts that would receive. Give us ears that would hear. Give us eyes that would see. And God, I pray that you'd be glorified as we rest in your sovereign control and your goodness in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, three times in these verses, Jesus commands us, do not worry. Do not worry worry. He actually says it three different ways. They're nuanced differences, but in Greek, it's actually do not worry, stop worrying, and don't ever start worrying. So we could say it this way. If you're worrying, you need to stop. If you're not worrying, just don't even start. And generally speaking, you should just never be worried about anything. Don't be anxious. What is anxiety? What is worry? Well, one good definition of anxiety is the loss of confident security in God owing to feelings of uneasiness or foreboding that something harmful is going to happen. I love that definition. That's from John Piper. Anxiety is the loss of confident security in God, owing to feelings of uneasiness or foreboding that something harmful is going to happen. The definition for worry is just simply excessive concern. You have concern, but it's in excess, and it leads to worry. It leads to anxiety. Why do we worry? Well, obviously, because life is filled with hardships. Bad things happen. Trials happen. We worry because we don't know what the future holds. Job's friends, uh, you remember in the book of Job, they didn't offer him the best counsel. Some of it was accurate, but just not the right time or said in the right way. But one of his friends said something very true. Eliphaz, in Job chapter 5, verse 7, said, Man is born for the day of trouble, just as sparks fly upward. Sparks do not just dive down, they fly upward. And we know that man is born for the day of trouble. Trouble happens to us on a daily basis. That's why we worry. And unfortunately, we can become so detached from God's character and his promises because of those trials that we start to worry and we have anxiety. I don't know if that's you this morning. Maybe the coronavirus has not worried you one bit, but maybe things in the past have worried you or maybe things about to happen worry you. Maybe it's just questions of anxiety and wonder, what is God going to do? How am I going to make it? The reality is anxiety is a sin that can give rise to so many other sins. Let's think about it. Anxiety over finances. If you're anxious about finances, you'll become greedy. You'll start hoarding things. You might even steal. If you're anxious about relationships, you might lie or cover things up to look a certain way, present yourself a certain way. So anxiety, if we can kill anxiety... We can deal a mortal blow to a lot of other sins. That's why Jesus is going to attack our anxiety this morning. You remember from last week, we talked about three questions. What do you feel? What do you think? What do you know to be true? I was just talking with my wife yesterday. Uh, A lot was happening in our household. I was getting a little bit frustrated, uh, probably a lot a bit frustrated. And I said to her, I need to work backwards. What do I feel? I'm kind of angry right now. What do I think? What do I know? And as I work backwards in those three questions to what do I know to be true, now how should I think based off of what I know, and now how can I feel? How should I feel based off of what I think, based off of what I know to be true? So this morning, I want us to see eight different promises that we can know are true from God to us about our anxiety. Eight different promises that will take care of our anxiety. Eight different promises that God has graciously given to us So let us work backwards, feeling anxiety, feeling anxious, feeling worry, feeling concern. What do I think? And then what do I know to be true? Well, these eight things we know to be true. So promise number one that can cure anxiety, that can alleviate our anxious hearts. Promise number one is found in verse 25, and it is this. God takes care of the complex so he can easily care for the simple. God takes care of the complex, so he can easily care for the simple. Look at verse 25. Jesus starts by saying, For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life. For this reason, that connects us back to what he said in verse 24, where he said, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other and he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and wealth. You can't serve both. You can't serve two masters. You have to pick. And so what he's saying is, choose. Don't serve money. Don't serve worry and anxiety. Choose to follow God. He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. And he also said earlier that uh, we have treasures on earth that will be destroyed, and we can have treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. So He says, for this reason, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, and for this reason, choose to serve me, don't serve money. For this reason, verse 25, don't be worried. You don't have to be worried. Why? You don't have to be worried about your life, everything about your life, and you don't have to be worried about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or to your body as to what you're going to put on. You don't have to be worried. Why? Because he's saying... At the end of verse 25, this is the reasonableness of our Savior. I love how he reasons with us. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, he gives us a reasonable argument as to why we don't need to worry. What's the reasonable argument? End of verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's saying, which is harder to sustain? Is it harder to keep your heart beating or to give you food to keep you alive? Which is the harder thing? God's saying, I do the harder thing. But we don't make our hearts beat. We don't make our red blood cells work. We don't make our white blood cells fight infection. We don't do any of that. God does that. So he says, I'm keeping care and track of all of these things in your body that are incredibly complex. It's going to be a pretty easy thing for me to, to fill your stomach with food. I can take care of that. I take care of the complex. Therefore, I can absolutely take care of all of the simpler details. I can take care of the simpler details. This is an argument from the greater to the lesser. God's given us life. He's given us bodies that are way more complex than clothing or food. He says you don't have to worry. Promise number two, not only does God take care of the complex, so he can easily care for the simple, but number two, God feeds the less valuable, so he will obviously feed the more valuable. He feeds the less valuable, so he's obviously going to feed the more valuable. This is verse 26. "Look to the birds. Look at the birds. I, I, would, I would encourage you, take, take this verse literally. Today, at some point, I know you're going to have free time at some point during this week in all of our quarantine, go to your window and just stare at a bird. Watch what the bird does. Jesus says, "Look at what they're doing. They don't sow, they don't reap. They don't gather into barns. They're not freaking out over what's going to happen, and yet they're fed. Your heavenly Father feeds them. So if they're taken care of, and then here's the reasonableness of his argument, verse 26, are you not worth much more than they? You're worth so much more. You're so much more valuable. Yes, a bird is valuable to God. This isn't saying that they are are nothing in God's eyes. They are so valuable to God. It's his creation, but we are the only part of his creation that's made in his image, See, so he says, of course, if I take care of the birds, of course I'm going to take care of you. Just think of some of the ways that God takes care of the birds. When it was raining a few weeks ago, my sons are always so intrigued by the fact that worms just come up out of the ground During the rain, when it gets all wet, they come up out of the ground, and they just run outside while it's raining, and I can hear them from my bedroom. I can hear them say, I see worms. There's so many worms. And they pick them up, and sometimes Tyler wants to eat one, and I tell him, no, that's what fish do, and you're not a fish. So I try as best I can to hear what they're saying. They get so excited about these things. And I talked with Ethan a couple days ago, and I said, do you realize that God's making it rain For so many reasons, right? When God does one thing, he does a billion things. He's making it rain so that the birds can have a worm to eat, so that they can have food. God does so many things to provide for his creation. And you are so much more valuable than a bird. So you can trust that God is going to take care of you as well. Promise number three. Promise number three. So we've got number one, God takes care of the complex so he can easily care for the simple. Number two, God feeds the less valuable, so he's obviously going to feed the more valuable. Promise number three, or reason number three, to not be anxious, is it doesn't do anything anyway. Jesus says it's not going to do anything anyway. This is verse 27. Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? Can you even add an hour to your life by being worried? If you're anxious today, does your anxiety produce extra life, extra time? No, Speaking purely pragmatically, Jesus says it doesn't even do anything that's worthwhile. It doesn't accomplish anything good. Don't worry, because it does nothing. Promise number four. Promise number four. God clothes the less significant. So he's obviously going to clothe the more significant. He clothes the less significant. So he's obviously going to clothe the more significant. This is verses 28 through 30. And why are you worried about clothing? Why are you worried? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil. They don't spin. They're not making their clothes yet. I say to you, that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the furnace. Look at how temporary this is. How much more is he going to clothe you? Eternal beings. beings. How much is he going to clothe? How much more is he going to clothe you? Compared to flowers, we are of much greater priority to God. And so he says, "If I'm taking care of the less significant, I'm definitely going to take care of you." Promise number five and reason number five for why we don't need to worry: Believers have a different treasure than non-believers. Believers have a different treasure. non-believers. This is why we don't need to worry. There's a promise that we have a treasure that's completely different than a non-believer's treasure. A non-believer's hope, dream, uh, aspirations, goals, desires, they're completely different than those of believers. This is verse 31 and 32. Do not worry. Don't worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? Don't do that. Why? Because, verse 32, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. Gentiles, uh, that's pagans, that's idolaters. They seek these things. This is their treasure. This is what they live for. This is worldliness. And notice they don't just seek them. They eagerly seek them. That's the word of pursuing it with everything they've got. They eagerly seek these things. This is what they live for. They can freak out. Let them freak out because this is what they live for and they don't know if they're going to have it. But this isn't what we live for as believers. We're not like pagans. We're not like the Gentiles. If we pursue the things that the the pagans, the Gentiles pursue, we're making it look like our greatest treasure, our greatest delight, our cherished possession is what Gentiles, what the world wants. So Jesus says, no, don't, don't pursue what the world's pursuing. You're not like them. You don't have to worry because your treasure is something that's stored in heaven that can never be taken away. Promise number six. Promise number six. We have a heavenly Father who knows exactly what our needs are. We have a heavenly Father who knows exactly what our needs are. This is in verse 31 uh, when Jesus says, you don't need to worry. Why? Verse 32, because the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father... He knows that you need all these things. He knows. Notice the words, you're heavenly. Heavenly, there's power. He's sitting on his throne as we've been studying in Revelation. He's there. He's in sovereign control and he is on his throne. He's God above the universe. He's heavenly. But he's also our father. He's with us. He loves us. He's good. He's kind. He cares for us. If you remember uh, our scripture reading from last week, uh, Jesus says, which of you, uh, if you go ask your dad for some food, is going to give you a snake? He's not going to do that. And then he says, how much more is your heavenly father going to give you good gifts? He loves you. He's your father. He's compassionate towards you. And if you don't know the compassion of an earthly father... It's very easy to say, I don't like the picture of God being my dad because I don't really like who my dad is. I don't even know who my dad is. I just want to encourage you, don't project your feelings about a human earthly father to God. Human earthly fathers are supposed to get their cue from our heavenly father and be an image and a representation of him to their kids. And so all of us dads fail all the time. I tell my kids that almost on a daily basis I say I'm sorry, I need your forgiveness. I've sinned, let's go to the cross together. So don't let your earthly representation of what a dad looks like, don't let that skew your understanding of God as our heavenly Father. He loves us. He's good. He's kind. He's compassionate. He's heavenly, he's our Father, and he knows. Look at that third word in verse 32. He knows. As we sang earlier, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows exactly what we need. It's not a surprise to him that we have a need. It's not a surprise to him when we lose our jobs. It's not a surprise to him when the doctor says, you have cancer. He knows these things, and he knows what we need most in those moments. So we can trust him. We can let the pagans worry. They don't have a heavenly father. They have no protector. But we're not orphans. We have a heavenly father. How different are we? Our heavenly father cares for us. The Gentiles have to protect themselves. So they need to worry about these things. But we don't need to worry. So can I, can I just ask you to, to examine your own heart? Do you face life like God is your father? Or do you face life like a pagan, like an orphan, How do you react when trials come? Do you react in such a way that the world would say, man, you have somebody else protecting and providing for you that you're trusting? Or do you look just like the world? Spurgeon said, he who counts the stars and calls them by their names is in no danger of forgetting his own children. I love that. He's never going to forget you. If you are his child and he is your heavenly father, then you do not have to worry or be anxious. Promise number seven, promise number seven, he will give you everything you need to give yourself to his cause. He will give you everything that you need to give yourself to his cause. He'll give you everything you need to live out this next verse, verse 33. But instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. This is the only positive command that's in uh, this section of Scripture. There's only one positive command. They've all been negative. Do not, do not, do not, do not. And now it's do this. Seek. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his righteousness. What buries worry, what kills anxiety, is to obey this command. If you're worried, obey this command and worry will go away. Why? Because what he's saying is... The the conclusion to everything that he's talking about, how do we flip our anxiety over to trust and to following Jesus? We seek everything that's in reference to Christ, not everything that's in reference to this world. We long for his glory. We long for living out what he would have us do, living according to his will, living according in obedience to what he desires, and knowing that he'll take care of the rest. Give yourself to this cause. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first eternal things, not temporal things. And he'll make sure that you have everything that you need to do that. That's what he's saying here. He will make sure that you have everything that you need to live out his uh, command of glorifying him and obeying him. It might not be everything that you want to have, but it's everything that you need in order to seek his glory being done in your life. This is why we say when we pray, uh, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to live out your will. I want to live according to your will. So give me everything that I need to live out your will. If you seek first his kingdom, then he'll give you everything you need to do that. This is what Romans 8.32, this is the the reasonableness, the promise of Romans 8.32. If God the Father did not spare his own son, he gave Jesus to us, then he's done the hardest thing. He can do anything other than that. He can do any, everything that he does other than sending his son is an easy thing compared to giving us his one and only son. So you can trust that he'll add all these other things to you. Finally, promise number eight. Promise number eight. Let me just go through them again one more time and then we'll tack on number eight. Number one, God takes care of the complex so he can easily care for the simple. Number two, God feeds the less valuable so he will obviously feed the more valuable. Number three, worry doesn't do anything anyway. Number four, God clothes the seemingly insignificant, so he's obviously going to clothe the significant. Number five, believers have different treasure, a different treasure than non-believers. Number six, we have a heavenly father who knows exactly what our needs are. Number seven, he's going to give us everything that we need to give ourselves to his cause. And number eight, and finally, God gives exactly the right mercy for exactly the right trial. God gives exactly the right mercy for exactly the right trial. This is verse 34, and this is gonna take us a couple other places in scripture, but you'll see it in verse 34. So based off of everything Jesus has said, based off of saying, don't worry, don't worry, based off saying the the problem of worry embedded in this text, if you go down to verse 30, the problem of worry, worry at the end of verse 30 is not having enough faith, not trusting God. Jesus is going after our hearts and saying, will you trust me? And he's asking us in this verse, in verse 34, to trust something very specific about who he is and what he promises. Verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. It will worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not worry, literally in the Greek. Don't start worrying about tomorrow. You have a choice today to not start worrying about tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. Some of us say, man, I wish I knew what the future would hold. Can I just tell you, you wouldn't want to know the future. If you knew the future, it would ruin today. Because let's say the future is amazing, okay? if You knew the future, and the future for your life is amazing. You have everything that you want to have, and you're going to get it all in the end. That would mean today you don't have what you want And you're bummed out that you don't have it now. Why can't it happen earlier? I wish it would happen now. And obviously, if the future is bad, then this is the best life gets. And you're going to be bummed out that this is all you've got. And it's going to get worse from here. Knowing the future would rob you of present joy today. So don't cripple the present by worrying about the future. If you do that, you destroy your joy. And not only do you destroy your joy, you lose your present because you're worrying about it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said, worry is always directed toward tomorrow. It is our securing things for tomorrow which makes us so insecure today. It's our securing things for tomorrow which makes us so insecure today. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 is correcting this tendency to live out our future before it arrives. We tend to set our hearts on a future that we've imagined for ourselves, a future in which we gain all the things that we've hoped for and all the things that we hold on to. We keep them. All the things that we have, we never lose them. But because we are finite people and a sinful people, we want today to experience the resources that are only going to be given to us tomorrow. Sometimes we see pain coming. Maybe not even all of it. We're not really good at predicting the future, but we see a little bit of pain coming down the tunnel. And we start to get worried. I don't know about you, but when I see a a little bit of trouble coming, I want to feel the resources today for that pain that's going to uh, be coming up in in a couple days or a couple weeks. But God doesn't set it up that way. The strength to live out tomorrow's problems will be given to you tomorrow, not today. And if you want, like I do so often, if you want to feel the emotional, spiritual, and physical resources today for what you know you're going to face tomorrow, then two things are going to happen. It's a very dangerous, precarious place to be. If you are trying to take tomorrow's mercies and put them into today, number one, you are going to feel desperately inadequate for the problems that are coming up you're going to feel so inadequate for the problems that are coming up because you're going to want to experience mercy today and you're not getting it because it's mercy for tomorrow's problems. But you're still going to worry about those problems and you're going to be crushed under the weight of anxiety and despair and sorrow and depression. So worry will crush you if you're trying to get tomorrow's mercy into today. Or a second result of trying to do that is we become self-sufficient on our own. We think, you know what, I am going to prepare myself for the future. I am going to prepare. This isn't saying don't be wise. Be wise, obviously, but this is hoarding things up. This is saying I'm going to prepare in every way, shape, or form to not have any problems. I don't need to trust God and rely on him. I can do this all myself. And we become prideful. We become puffed up. We become independent of God until the coronavirus happens, right? Until the stock market crashes and your entire retirement portfolio is gone. Until you get a phone call from the doctor who says, We ran the tests and you have stage four cancer. We don't know how much longer you have to live. It's moments like these where we realize the futility of worrying about tomorrow. It's not going to help us be self sufficient. We can't. That's an illusion. These aren't God's solutions, and they don't work. God didn't design us to go to bed thinking, I've got to get ready for tomorrow, fill up my emotional gas tank, figure out how I'm going to get everything done. No, he designed us to run on empty at the end of the day, fill this day with so many things, run on empty at the end of the day, and go to bed exhausted, awaiting and longing for new morning mercies that are going to come. He says tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Enough trouble. My question is, who determines what is enough? If I determine that, if I say, uh, these three trials, that's enough for today. Uh, Unfortunately, we're not the people that determine what's enough. God's the one who says this is enough, because God's the one who dispenses mercy to handle the trial that he also allows. God says, I will give you trials, but I will also give you mercies equal to the trials if you would rest in me. Turn to Lamentations. Lamentations, you know this. Uh, Chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21 through 23. Again, Lamentations uh, written by Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah kind of doing the what do I feel, what do I think, what do I know? I'm going to recall. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. This I recall to my mind, and therefore, because I'm recalling this to my mind, I have hope. What do I feel? I feel hopeful now. Why? What is he recalling to his mind? This is what he knows. The Lord's mercies or loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They never fail, they never cease. They're new every morning. New mercies for new troubles every morning. Why are they new every morning? Because every day gets new mercies, because every day gets new troubles. Every day has troubles. And to anticipate those troubles on your own, apart from God's mercy, is to double your problems and not have the grace to endure them. God has spread your troubles over your life in a proportion that will give to each day an amount of grace that you need to be able to handle the trial enough. He says, enough. Each day has enough trouble. There's enough trouble planned for you that God's mercy is going to take care of if you trust him. Don't add to that trouble. Don't worry. Don't add to it. But here's two things you can always count on in life. According to these two verses, according to Matthew 6 and Lamentations 3, you can always count on, number one, troubles. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And number two, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can always count on new mercies that are accessible to you in Jesus. Troubles every day and mercy every day. These new mercies, they're not for yesterday's troubles. They're not for tomorrow's troubles. They're for today's troubles. This is a staggering way to think about your future. This changes everything. Today's resources are not there for tomorrow's problems. So I just live out today and I trust tomorrow to God. When you feel like, man, I'm just not going to be able to make it, you're right. (laughs) You're right. But your job is not to figure out tomorrow, but rather to trust that God will give grace for tomorrow's problems. Worry declares we don't trust him. Either we don't trust that he's aware of what's going on, when he he is aware, or we don't trust that he cares, when he does care, or we don't trust that he can do anything to protect us, when he can. Worry just says, I don't trust. So we fight anxiety, we fight worry, we fight concern by trusting God and knowing that he has mercy set aside for every single day for every single trouble. What do you feel? What do you think? What do you know to be true? Can I just ask you this morning, do you know God is your heavenly father? Do you know that your sins have been paid in their entirety, in full by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? He lived a sinless life on this earth, never once being anxious, never once worrying, never once uh, struggling with anxiety over the future because he entrusted himself to his heavenly father. He won our perfect record of righteousness. And then at the cross, he died in our place, the, the, the father treating Jesus as if Jesus had lived our sinful lives because God the father took all of our sin and put it on Christ. And the father punished Jesus in our place so that the father could treat us as if we lived Jesus's perfection. We are one of Jesus' kids now if we're covered. One of God's kids if we're covered. The father's children, no longer orphans. We have been adopted into the family of God if we're covered in the blood of Christ. So can I just ask you, do you know that Jesus is your only hope? Do you trust in Christ? Do you know that you're saved? Because if you don't, today is the day of salvation. If you don't know that you're saved, then of course you're going to worry because your greatest hope, your greatest treasure are only for things of this life. Today is the day to turn to Christ, to say, that's it. I'm not living for the things of this world. I'm not living for what they love. Christ is my treasure, and I long to be with him. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, can I encourage you with these eight promises this morning? Jesus would want to encourage your heart this morning and tell you, you don't have to worry. Whatever it is you're worrying about, you don't have to worry. Which is going to be louder for you today, tomorrow, this next week, and on into the future? Which is going to be louder for you, your problems or God's promises? And the beauty of God's promises, though these in this paragraph in Matthew 6 are a little bit more of a general, uh, just kind of an overarching, this is why we shouldn't worry, the beauty of God's word is he gets very specific about every single thing we might be worrying about and gives us a promise that's tailor-made for that worry and concern. And what we're going to do next week, Lord willing, is we're going to go through 10 specific worries that we have in life, 10 things that we worry about in life. And we're going to go all over the Bible. So get ready to turn through the Bible next week. We're going to go all throughout the Bible to see promises that we can cling to and hold to and hope in in the midst of very specific problems of life. The Bible does not give us some vague, overarching, well, just stop worrying. The Bible gives us promises we can cling to about every specific worry we might have. That'll be next week, Lord willing. But for this week, my prayer is that Jesus and his promises and his death and his resurrection and his love for us would be what would grab our attention. Not the problems of this world, but the promises of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you so much for the promises that we are given because of Christ's work on the cross, because of the finished work of Jesus. These are all amazing promises, but they are ours in Christ because they are blood-bought promises. They are promises that we could never get on our own. We could never gain on our own. We need Jesus. And so we we cry out to him now. God, I pray that you would encourage our church. Each and every one of us has problems. There's no one that is living a, a problemless life absent of troubles. We all have trouble. We all have trials. And we all have a savior that we can look to for hope as an anchor for our souls in the midst of the biggest of life storms. Father, I pray that we'd rely and rest upon your new morning mercies, that even this day, as we live this day out, we would rely upon your mercies, that we would fix our eyes on Christ, even now as we sing, and that the things of this world would just grow strangely dim. Help us to talk about these things together as a church, to encourage each other, to pray for each other, And God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts now as we sing. I pray it in your name. Amen.